This morning is going to be a little bit different. Everybody say, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> Even if it's not okay, that's okay. Thing. Normally don't do this. Uh, if you had to kind of describe me in a seminary situation, a theological system, you'd probably describe me as a Reformed uh, Lutheran traditional Biblicist. I'm not sure if Biblicist is a word thing, but you'd kind of put me in that camp. Most people would not describe me as a charismatic uh, person in regards to uh, hearing God speak, uh, spirit speaking in tongues, things like that. However, this morning, uh, I'm going to uh, take a little bit of step of faith and trust a little bit that what happened this past week uh, was not myself, but was the Spirit of God leading me. This last week, as I was studying and preparing for this passage, there was just this overwhelming sense and direction that um, needed to take a step back and provide a little clarity and also uh, provide a little, little challenge. And uh, the question that kept coming in my mind, and uh, I've never been one that's woken up in the middle of the night and said, hey, God spoke to me, thing. I've got people that have, I've met that have said that. They're people that I trust, that know the Bible very well, better than I know the Bible. I'd trust them. They'd listen to what they had, had to say. That has not happened to me, thing. Uh, this last week, though, in studying, I got a great sense that the Spirit of God was leading this specific question to really challenge some thought. And, and really the question that kept coming back in my mind as we're talking about this follow series, the call of Christ on our lives, was it seemed like God kept saying to me, what if your congregation has enough awareness and knowledge, but yet is waiting in the waiting pool? What if your congregation has enough awareness and knowledge, yet is really not willing to step into the water? I would argue this morning, that there's enough awareness in this room of what the call of Jesus Christ is on our lives. I would argue this morning that we've got a solid biblical knowledge, obviously can always grow in that department, but I'd put us up against the next group of people that we know our Bibles pretty well. We've got the knowledge, we've got the awareness. The question is, are we really stepping into the water, or are we just kind of getting our toes wet a little bit? The word that kind of came over, came over me this, this last week was captain of a sinking ship. Now, I'm not arguing this morning that king of glory is a sinking ship or, or dying or anything like that. But it's almost worse to have a slow bleed or a slight leak in the bottom of the ship than a big thing that just comes and tips you over. Because if you tip over, you know, right? Hey, we're in trouble, watch out, thing. If it's a slow leak or a slow bleed, you almost don't know until it's too late. What if it is happening right here among us? That we have the awareness and we have the knowledge. But since we're not stepping into the water, we actually just have a slow bleed. In other words, what if we're just mediocrely responding to the call of Christ? The best picture, I think, for this is two middle school boys Went to Valley Fair about 10 years ago, probably, on a youth ministry trip. I hated amusement parks. Think they're the biggest waste of concrete and metal around. Think, find a bench and a soda pop and sit down and let the kids go crazy. Think, took two middle school boys to the amusement park and they were ready to go. This was their first time at Valley Fair and they had cash to burn and quarters to burn. And so we got to, we got to Valley Fair and they were off. Oh, I'm not going to see them again today. 
Well, throughout the day, kind of as I was monitoring, sitting on the bench, these two young bucks had come running by. One always had the old 64 ounces of drink and big thing of cotton candy. And the other one had, you know, those things that you win when you're playing the games, like shooting the water or hitting the baskets, the, the, I don't know what you call them, whatever. Um, games, you win big stuffed animals. They're carrying all this stuff around. And I'm thinking, oh, they're having a great time. So they come up and I said, how's it going? Having fun? Oh, yeah. I said, how many rides have you been on? None. Thing. Been too busy, cotton candy and soda and winning all these prizes. So they go throughout the day and they're just having a blast. We come and we're getting towards the end of the day and I'm sitting on the bench and next thing you know, they're coming down and sitting next to me like, well, what's going on? Well, we ran out of money. Well, why don't you go on some rides? Thing. Oh, we, don't, uh, we don't like any rides. Thing. So the next thing I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I'm going to sit next to these two guys the rest of the day. Thing. So I'm like, okay. I hate roller coasters. said, so let's go on one together. And so they're at Valley Fair. They've got the old white wooden roller coaster that's probably older than some of you here in this room thing. Um, and so I'm like, okay, we'll go on that one. It's the least dangerous of the bunch. You're not doing any upside down stuff, nothing too crazy. So we get on the roller coaster, and I'm thinking, oh, this is not a good idea. My stomach is bad to start with, and now I'm going on a roller coaster. Go on the roller coaster, get done. I'm thinking, yes. Get off the roller coaster. I'm like, oh, how is it? And they go, oh, we're going to go again. We're going to go again. Thing. And I said, oh, I'll be out on the bench right now. No, no, no. We only go if you go. Thing. I'm thinking, oh. Thing. Seven more times on that stupid white roller coaster. Who do you think we could not get to leave the amusement park? The two boys. The two boys who earlier in the day were just enjoying their soda and their little cotton candy and the big blow-up toys that they were winning through the games. But until they actually got on the roller coaster, they had not experienced the adventure park for what the adventure park was created for. An adventure park is what? Created roller coasters. Excitement. That they were walking around with their cotton candy and 64-ounce drinks. My concern this morning is that you and I are walking around with cotton candy and 64-ounce drinks. We're enjoying our fellowship with one another. We're giving money away to nice organizations that are doing good work. But at the end of the day, we're not experiencing the call that Christ has given to us. And the call of Jesus Christ, we all know, is to follow him. We've studied it the last six weeks of understanding that Jesus is not calling us to meaningless religious activity where we just go through the motions. That's who Jesus got the harshest with, is those religious leaders. We also looked a couple weeks ago at Jesus and the woman caught in adultery. We know that Jesus is not just saying to us, hey, just we love you and accept you. Go and do whatever you want. We know that Jesus said to the woman, go and sin no more. We looked last week at the pursuit that Jesus has us on, the pursuit to abide in Him, that we therefore can experience joy. We know the call of Christ is to follow Jesus. We know the call of Christ is to abide in Christ. But do we have clarity over what it means to follow Christ? Do we have clarity of, a, of what that picture is like of one who is following Jesus? This morning, we're going to take a step and try and provide a little clarity of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And our passage of Scripture this morning is Philippians chapter 3. Let's turn there right now, if you would, with me. I'm going to spend a few moments here on this, and then we're going to spend the majority of our time on some high-level clarity. 
Philippians chapter 3, beginning with the first verse. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. God, come to you now, thankful for your word. Lord, we're thankful for the heritage that you've given us, that you, that you allowed the majority of us to be raised in Christian families, that you allowed the majority of us to be attending church our whole lives. We thank you for that, God, and we treasure that. At the same time this morning, God, we recognize that that can cause us to uh, stagnate. Lord, we come before you now this morning asking that you would rejuvenate our hearts, that you would refine our vision, that you, God, would grant us clarity of the call you have on our lives. God, speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 16, I'm going to summarize very concisely that it can be basically be broken down. The Apostle Paul is saying to you and I today that we are to pursue Jesus, for he is our righteousness. That's basically what these verses are saying in very simple terms. Pursue Jesus, for he is our righteousness. In other words, this is really just clarifying the call of Christ on our lives. The Apostle Paul is writing a letter here, and it's as though he's writing a letter and he's, he's got to come across something that really gets him excited. He wants to remind this people group of, of the primary call on their lives. And the language throughout this chapter is just pushing us towards this idea of pursuing Jesus, just going after Jesus in one direction, always straining for what is ahead. The Apostle Paul wants to know Jesus. In other words, the Apostle Paul wants to be in union with Jesus in such a close-knit relationship. Look with me at verses verse 10 and 11. Look at how the Apostle Paul wants to know Christ. He says, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings. The Apostle Paul wants to be in such close union with Christ that on one hand, he gets to experience the power of Christ and the, the resurrection from the dead. 
the greatest gift ever. He wants to experience that. He wants that. But at the exact same time, he wants such close personal union with Christ that he's willing to suffer alongside Christ. And the Apostle Paul knew how Jesus suffered. The Apostle Paul was seeing suffering right before his eyes. The Apostle Paul was actually at one time causing suffering because the Apostle Paul was killing followers of Christ. And now the Apostle Paul is saying, I want to know Jesus so much that I'm willing to suffer right alongside of him. This is his desires to be in union with Jesus. So the word we looked at last week, to abide with Christ. That's his pursuit. That's his life goal is to know Jesus to be in union with Jesus. Well, why such a goal? Why so passionate about Jesus? Because Jesus is our righteousness. And we see this here in chapter 3 here, verse 9. Right here, the Apostle Paul gives us the nugget of the Bible, basically. The nugget of the gospel. The Apostle Paul says, And be found in him, Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith. The Apostle Paul pursues Jesus because Jesus is Paul's righteousness. Now, we don't use this word righteousness very often, and we're not even really concerned about righteousness. I mean, when's the last time you woke up in the morning going, man, I hope I'm righteous today, thing. But really, this is the central concern of the Bible. Are we in right standing with God? That At some point, we're all destined to die once. That at that moment, will I stand before the judgment seat and be declared righteous? This was the whole battle that started a whole new church movement. If you drive around Sioux Falls today, almost on every block, exaggerating a little bit, you're going to run into a Reformed church or a Lutheran church. They're all over the place. The reason is, is because it came from this battle of arguing how are we declared righteous before God? And they wanted to lay it out that the Bible is clear that we are declared righteous through faith in Christ alone, by grace alone. That we are not in good standing with God because of our good works or because of something we do. But we are righteous. We are in good standing with God because of our faith in Christ. Paul wants Jesus because Jesus is his righteousness. It's because of Jesus that the Apostle Paul is in good standing with his Heavenly Father. You know, when you have, if you've been to a baptism before of an infant or an adult, at an infant, when you baptize an infant, a majority of the time, the infant is baptized wearing white. When you go to an adult baptism, a lot of times, they wear white robes into the water and then lift it back out. The whole purpose is, the white is the symbol that we are now clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That our purity is not from ourselves, but rather now that we are united with Christ, we have his righteousness, his good works, his perfect obedience is now ours. You see, when when God the Father looks at us, he does not see your resume of the service projects that you've participated in. He does not see your resume of the things you've left undone, but he sees the righteousness of Christ. And because Jesus is our righteousness, the Apostle Paul is saying he should be our pursuit We should want to know him. We should want to experience all that he is, all that he has for us, because he is our standing. Outside of Christ, we have nothing to stand on. We stand before the throne of God, and we've got nothing to offer. But in Christ, we stand righteous. And the Apostle Paul is saying this morning, pursue Christ, for he is your righteousness. 
It begins first and foremost by asking the question, am I in right standing with God? We all know what it's like to be in right standing with someone. If I said to you this morning, I said, are you in right standing with your boss? You would know that that means you have a good relationship. Is everything okay between the two of you? If, I, if you said, no, I'm not in right standing, it would mean the relationship is broken because of something done or left undone. We know what it means to be in right standing. Now we just have to transfer that to, what does it mean to be in right standing with God? Same thing. Is our relationship clean? But the scripture proclaims that God is holy and God is light and there can be no darkness in the presence of God, which creates a problem for you and I. Because all of us have missed the boat at one point. We've left things undone. We've done certain things. So therefore, our relationship with God is broken. So how does that relationship get healed? It gets healed through the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection and then our faith in Christ. We're clothed with the righteousness of Christ. That we now stand before the throne of God and say, Hey God, don't look at me. Look at my partner. Don't take my resume. Take the resume of Jesus. Perfect obedience. That's the resume we get to hand in. It's Jesus' resume. And now, because of his righteousness, we're called to pursue Jesus with all that we have. And that's been the call. That's what it means to follow Christ, is to pursue Jesus. So what does a life look like of following after Christ? That's what we want to get to today. What does it mean to follow Christ? What does that life look like? I want to present today four high-level things that I, that I believe are taught throughout all of the scriptures that would give us a real picture of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And now we're going to push the envelope even a little bit further. I know, I know, it's okay, breathe easy thing. We've done this before, but today can actually provide the opportunity again for you to ask a question after the sermon. And I know this is dangerous thing, anything can get asked. The goal is provide clarity. Let's get some understanding from God's word of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And if there's questions, let's get them on the table. And so we've done this before. Today, we're going to have the opportunity for you to text in a question, and let's deal with it. Let's put it on the table and see if we can find something from God's Word. Maybe I don't have the answer right here today, but we know we need to spend some time investigating it. So as we're going through these four things, I'd encourage you maybe to write down a question on your sheet of paper as we're going through that you want to ask. What does it look like to be a follower of Christ? The first thing it looks like to be a follower of Christ is this, is that our future is not determined by our past. One who follows Jesus Christ is not chained to their past. The Apostle Paul says it right here in Philippians chapter 3. He says, forgetting what is behind, I strain toward what is ahead. The Apostle Paul is not letting his past determine his future. Think of the Apostle Paul's past for a second. Before he wrote this letter, not long before he wrote this letter, he was killing people who support the message that he's now writing about. Literally killing things, stoning them, and encouraging others to do the same. Can you imagine the guilt? Can you imagine the thought process? How can God use me now that I've been against God this whole time? But the Apostle Paul forgets the past. He does not let the past determine his future. The same thing with the adulterous woman. She comes to Jesus five adulteries, five times, what is Jesus? Jesus doesn't let the past determine his, her future. He says, you're forgiven. There's no condemnation. As followers of Christ, our past is gone. God is no longer fishing in that pond. God is no longer fishing in your past pond. So why are you fishing there? 
God does not deal with us according to our past, but he deals with us according to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. This morning, some of you are unable to move forward because of guilt. Some of you are unwilling to step out in faith and and volunteer to do something because you don't feel you're good enough. Well, you're not good enough. Jesus is good enough. And Jesus has forgotten your past because of what he did at the cross. Don't let your past frees you from experiencing the future that God has for you as his child. I don't know about you, but sometimes I show up at a meeting, I'm running a little bit late. One of the first thoughts that always comes in my mind is, well, Franklin was late last time, so it's not a big deal that I'm late this time. Right? We're justifying our behavior because of something that happened in the past. We so often live in the past. God's all about the future. The glorious future that we have in the future inheritance and the future that we have in Christ. A follower of Christ is not frozen because of their past, but is freed from their past for a future of service and joy in Christ. What does it mean to follow Christ? It means to forget the past, look to the future. What does it mean to follow Christ? To follow Christ means to passionately pursue Christ. Now, when I say passionate, I'm not talking, let's get all emotional and laugh and and cry. We all know what it means to be passionate about something. That when we're passionate about something, our heart just picks up speed. When we're passionate about something, it takes up our thinking space in our mind. When we're passionate about something, what happens? We shift our priorities around to spend time with that which we are passionate about. To follow Christ, we've got to be passionate about Christ. And this is a struggle, right? For us nice white Midwesterners, right? Let's just keep it nice and easy, everyone. Think, Don't get too excited. If you read the Bible, it's full of passion. King David, God's chosen servant, the one who had the chance to lead the greatest nation, the one who was a forerunner to Jesus himself. King David danced before the throne room of God and actually lost his clothes in the process. And if you read, if you read any of the Psalms, how can you not see passion in there? Sometimes negative passion, but it's real. It's describing exactly what's happening. And then the Apostle Paul right here in Philippians 3, he just Everything is rubbish in comparison to knowing Christ. I press on to know Christ. To be a follower of Christ is to be passionate for Jesus. What that means is, is that our priorities get directed by that passion. This morning, are you in passionate pursuit of Jesus? You know what it means to be passionate about your work, or about financial stability, or about sports. Now, are you that passionate about the one who saved you? the one who is your righteousness, the one who is your king. A follower of Christ is passionate. There's no way around it. Now, the world might not be able to say, oh, that person's really passionate about Jesus. They might say, wow, that person is really passionate about caring for the poor. Well, the reason we're passionate about caring for the poor is because we're passionate about Jesus, which leads us to be passionate about the things that Jesus is passionate about. A follower of Christ is not frozen in the past but a follower of Christ passionately pursues Jesus Christ. The third thing that describes a follower of Christ is that a follower of Christ has a completely different perspective. Look with me at Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Now we're getting to the heavy lifting. A follower of Christ, in chapter 3, verse 20 of Philippians, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior. A follower of Christ is a citizen of heaven, that our citizenship is from a different place. Have you ever met someone from a different culture? I hope so. 
When you meet someone from a different culture, what happens? They've got a whole, a whole different way of looking at things. When we used to go to Mexico for mission trips, I just was living in constant frustration. They don't start working until like 9, and then they take a lunch break at like 11, and then after lunch they got a nap before you go back to work, and then you go back to work for maybe an hour, and then you're back home. I'm thinking, get these kids out of bed and let's work them. Thing. But they got, a, they, they got a whole different perspective. They're, they're more into the, the family and the relationship, and, and they look at time completely different. They go to bed at night and the window's still not fixed? Well, that's all right. How many of you would go to bed at night if your window was not fixed and just went wide open? Nobody. Thing. And none of you would even probably consider just saying, take, oh, let's put some duct tape and cardboard on it, call her good. Thing. Right? Oh, what their neighbor's going to think? Thing. And again, if there's no right or wrong, it's just all how you perceive things, the perspective that you have. You go, if you interact with someone from a different culture, they have a different perspective. And as followers of Christ, we are citizens of heaven, which means we've got a different perspective. We look at things differently. Now, this is where you have to understand this to understand the culture battles that we have as Christians in the world around us, right? I mean, constantly the church is getting yelled at for being hypocritical, and people are like, oh, Christians are always yelling at politicians, back and forth. Everybody's yelling at each other. Then there's this clash between Christians and culture. Well, <laughs> why are we surprised? Thing, And why are we yelling? All we're doing is we're just talking past one another. If you're, if you're in conversation with someone who's not a follower of Christ, you're coming from completely different foundations. So for example, Right now, there's this big argument going on about sex and sexuality, and everybody on this side is yelling, oh, save marriage. Everybody over, everybody over here is like, everybody just do whatever you want. And then they yell at each other and whatever thing. And they spend thousands of dollars, right, to yell loud, whoever can yell louder thing. Well, we fail to recognize that we're coming from completely different perspectives. Over here, and I'm not yelling and saying this is bad today. This is reality. Over here, the perspective is this. This is my body. I do what I want with my body. We're free people. Right? I mean, that's the perspective. Right, wrong, whatever. Perspective that we come from as followers of Christ, biblical perspective is this. I am not my own. I have been purchased with a price. This body is not my own. I'm no longer my own. 1 Corinthians says it very clearly. I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. I cannot do whatever I want. I can only do what my master desires. Do you see how these two completely different foundational ways of thinking are going to lead to two completely different outcomes in ways of living? You can talk this all day long, but if you don't deal with the foundation, all you're doing is talking past one another. As followers of Christ, we come from a completely different perspective. I'm not my own. So when it comes to money, over here is what? Safety security, and pleasure. I mean, for the most part, this is the underlying thinking about Monday. Money. I need to be safe. I want to have a secure future. And we should have some pleasure. Okay? Now, again, right, wrong, whatever. The biblical perspective is what? It's God's. I manage it. And everything Jesus says about money is release. Every interaction we have with Jesus is give it away. Think. Okay. There's a major problem here. Jesus is not much into the safety, security, and pleasure. 
it's going to lead to two totally different outcomes in the way we handle finances because we have a completely different perspective. But this is hard work. We have to saturate ourselves in God's truth to begin to get God's perspective for our lives. And it takes time. Not all of, all of us are products of our culture and our, and our upbringing. And there's not, not that everything in our upbringing was wrong, not that everything in our upbringing was right, but it needs to be refined and redeemed in God's truth. A follower of Jesus Christ is not frozen in the past. A follower of Jesus Christ passionately pursues Jesus. A follower of Jesus Christ has a completely different perspective. And a follower of Jesus Christ has practical application for the commands of Christ. A follower of Jesus Christ has practical application for the commands of Christ. And right, I mean, everybody raised their hands right now if we kind of said this in general. Well, Jesus wants us to obey him, right? I mean, everybody would generally agree with that statement. However, when the rubber meets the road, it's kind of like, well, was Jesus just giving religious ideals? Or did Jesus really mean what he said? There was a book written a couple of years ago by a guy named Shane Claiborne called Irresistible Revolution. The book started actually with kind of a simple question, and he just said, what if Jesus meant what he said? And I'm thinking to myself, well, yeah, I think I'm there. Thing. Then when I begin to look, man, I usually do a nice walk around a lot of, around a lot of the commands of Christ. What if Jesus literally meant that we're supposed to love our enemies as we love ourselves? <laughs> I mean, I, well, well, we, we most of the time kind of set that up as, a, as an ideal or, you know, well, I mean, that's just not possible thing. It's not safe to love our enemies as we love ourselves. So we kind of walk our way around the command of Christ. What if Jesus actually meant what he said? Jesus actually wants us to pursue purity. Jesus actually wants us to go and reconcile when there's been brokenness. There's practical application for a follower of Christ because Jesus meant what he said. Jesus laid the foundation for a life for one who's claiming the name of Christ. One who follows Jesus Christ is not determined by their past. One who follows Christ passionately pursues Jesus. A follower of Jesus Christ has a completely different perspective when viewing the world. A follower of Jesus Christ has practical application because Jesus means what Jesus says. This morning, it really comes down to, do I see Jesus as a mechanism for self-improvement or is Jesus the king? What I mean by that is this. A lot of us are into self-improvement, right? I mean, all of us at some point have been like, I'm going to do X to kind of improve my life and we maybe add something like healthy eating or maybe a, a new daily ritual and we think like adding that one thing is really going to improve life. A lot of times we look at Jesus this way, right? Well, I, I just need, my picture needs to get wholesome. So I'm going to add a little religion or a little Jesus into my, my picture and that'll kind of complete things because I'll have a place to go for the holidays. We've got a way to take care of our kids when they're born. We've got a place to, to bury our parents. We've got a place ourselves to be buried. It kind of provides this little extra comfort um, when talking about tough stuff. So Jesus kind of improves things. Rather than Jesus saying, okay, Jesus is king. And what Jesus says goes. 
thing. That Jesus is not interested in improving your life. Let me say that again. Jesus is not interested in improving your life from our cultural understanding. We sell this stuff all the time. We tell people all the time, God will never give you more than you can handle. Someone forgot to tell the Apostle Paul that promise because the Apostle Paul was killed. Jesus is not in the improvement business. Jesus is in the resurrection business. And what that means is he's in the business of putting to death our sinful life and bringing to life a whole new way of living and ultimately someday bringing to life a whole new eternal body. Jesus is in the resurrection business, not the self-improvement business. And until we get to this point where we say, Jesus is king, Jesus, you say it, at your word we will go. We'll not completely be walking in the water. Rather, we'll be just kind of putting our toes in a little bit and feeling the, the temperature of the pool. When in reality, the call of Christ is a call to passionately pursue Him, knowing that He does not deal with us according to our past, but rather He gives us a glorious future and now begins to develop a new perspective in us and ultimately begins to give us practical application so that we can begin to experience that resurrection, that transformation right now as we begin to obey Him. The beauty of all this is that we are passionately pursuing Jesus out of a position of security. We are passionately pursuing Jesus out of a position of security. What I mean by that is this. Sometimes when you know you pursue something, it's in vain. Like, I'm going to lose 15 pounds. And it's like, oh, I'm never there. 12, and then I fall back down. Never there. The pursuit of Christ is not in vain because Christ already has a hold of us. Look with me at Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Philippians 3, verse 12. The Apostle Paul writes, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. We pursue Christ because Christ first pursued us. None of us said to Jesus, hey Jesus, please go die on the cross for us because we've sinned. None of us made the initial effort to Jesus and said, Jesus, uh, please dole out some forgiveness. No, Jesus voluntarily left the richness of heaven and came and died on the cross. Jesus pursued us and Jesus speaks the word. You are forgiven. Jesus pursues us. Jesus lays claim on our lives. Now we can pursue him from a position of security. Christ knows you. You know Christ. The question is, is will you function as a follower of Christ? and continue in pursuit, continue developing a new perspective, and continue to practically apply all that Jesus has for your life. This morning, the great danger that I'm concerned about is that we would continue to pursue comfort and safety. This is the default position, right? This is the default position that we would pursue comfort and safety. That's exactly what those two kids are doing at Valley Fair. I mean, what's What's not safety, safe and comfortable out of a 64-ounce drink and a uh, big thing of mini donuts and lots of free toys? They were pursuing comfort and safety when in reality, the amusement park was built for the roller coaster. You and I were not created for comfort and safety. You and I were created for a life of following Jesus, passionately pursuing after Him. Let it not be said of us 
that we died a slow death because of a slow bleed, because we only touched the water to detect the temperature. But rather, we went in the water. We went to the deep end because that's where Christ has called us to be. Take a few moments right now. We're, I know we're long this morning. Thing, thing. We'll just take a few minutes right now. And I know this is abnormal. Thing. It's okay. There's no laws. Thing that we're trying to follow here. Thing. Maybe you have a question this morning. Something about one of the four descriptions for a follower of Christ. Maybe something just completely unrelated. But you know that it's an issue that you've got to deal with in order to, if you put up on the screen the directions to text in a, a question. So very simple. I know some of you are like, what texting? What's this all about? Thing. Um, so you just type in that number, 22333. That's the two. And then in the message box, you type in the other number, 747895, followed by your question. Thing. Very simple. Again, not mandatory. Maybe there'll be no questions. We at least want to provide the opportunity to say, is there something that we should deal with and put on the table? We won't go long. Relax. There's no football on at noon today. Thing. So just take a moment right now, review that scripture passage, any notes that you had written. Thought about using a mic and going live, so be thankful that we didn't do that. If you have a question, just send that in. Let's take a moment right now and pray. And I want to invite you this morning. That's not time to make a decision for Jesus. Thing. Jesus claims you to be his through his sacrifice. He proclaims the word of forgiveness over you. What I want to ask you to consider is this. Have you ever considered functioning as a child of God? Have you ever considered functioning as that which Jesus is laying claim of in your life as his follower? I want to invite you this morning to say, Jesus, I'm ready. I want to follow. Or Jesus, I'm ready to get out of the way and just let the church follow. Whatever it might be. Let's take a moment right now and pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and your truth. God, thank you that you have chosen us in Christ. Thank you that you have called us to be your children. This morning we come before you, Lord, in recognition that oftentimes we take baby steps when you're actually calling us to, to large steps. And Lord, this morning I come before you praying for our church. Lord, I pray that this would be a place where we passionately pursue you. This morning, Lord, I pray for those who are struggling with a past that's leaving them in a situation of guilt or whatever it might be, Lord, I pray that you'd free the people this morning from their past. They'd experience your forgiveness. Lord, this morning I also pray that you would put within us by the power of your Holy Spirit a desire to pursue you with all that we are. Lord, this morning we, we come before you praying that you would take your word and transform our way of thinking. Help us not to view things from our perspective, but to see things from your perspective. And God, this morning I ask that you do that work in our hearts create that perspective. And Lord, this morning, confess that oftentimes we have not taken Jesus at his word. But we ask now, O oh Lord, that you give us the ability to hear Jesus through your word and apply it in our lives. Lord, at this time, I 
pray for each individual, myself and this congregation, that we, O Lord, would submit to you and enter into the life that you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we'll just take three minutes here and deal with a couple of of, uh, questions. Oh boy, that's not a dangerous thing. How can we follow Jesus in a wealthy, safe society? Our our world seems so different than the world of the early church. Uh, Great question. So how can we follow Jesus in a world of wealth? The reality of the situation is this. We are living as the wealthiest people in the world. No matter even what position you are in America, I mean, we go through the statistics, we are the wealthiest. The challenge for us is this. All of the commands of Christ seem to say, you got to let go of our wealth. So the only way I can answer this question is this, because I haven't sold everything that I have. Like, I got a nice house, we got nice cars, I got an iPad. Um, is that you can ask yourself all day long, what, which level's enough, far enough? So my challenge would be on this is this. Have you ever even taken a step of faith? Have you ever even released something? So in the sense of saying, hey, you know what? So for example, the challenge today may be this. You know what? We're going we're gonna to tithe for a month thing. We're going to tithe for a month. It doesn't look possible, and it doesn't look what we're going to do it thing. Obviously, I'd encourage you to consult and talk to people who are wise and following Christ. But maybe that's the step you need to take, and that, that would free you from some of the materialism. So I, I think the big step is taking that release. The second piece of it is this, and I think this is the biggest one, is this. Community. Who do you surround yourself with? I read an interesting book a couple of years ago called For Richer, For Poor, and it laid out a strong argument that one of the challenges of American Christians is that all of us are in close proximity with people of different wealth levels. So for example, this next week, I will have lunch with someone who makes well over $500,000, way over $500,000 a year. The challenge is this, as I'm spending time with that individual, do I take their lifestyle and then say, well, I deserve that lifestyle. So I should be a member at the country club and I should be able to go out to eat every other night. So what happens is, is we see other lifestyles because people are in maybe a different... Um, economic situation, and we think that it should be ours. So do we surround ourselves with a community that encourages us to a life of simplicity? And this is hard, right? Thing, I mean simplicity. So here's another thing. I would really, practical application number two outside of the tithing thing would be this. Share something and see how it goes. I mean, why do all of us have to own a chainsaw? Really? I mean... <laughs> Who's using their chainsaw every day outside of a lumberjack? So why not share a chainsaw? But what do we do? Well, I've got to have a chainsaw. Go buy a chainsaw. I've got to have an air nailer. Let's go buy an air nailer. Why not share it thing? And again, you might be thinking, well, that doesn't really have anything to do with following Jesus. Well, in reality, maybe it does. Because all we're doing is getting more and more and more. But we actually don't need it. So I don't know if that helps at all. But just some general thoughts. Take the tithing challenge share something, and as you look the, at the world around you, don't see it as a thing to elevate to, but rather just see it as differences. That's how it is, differences. Good, good question. Thing. How, how do we get out of the waiting pool? What does that look like at King of Glory? I did not plant these questions. I want you to know that. Thing. I did not plant these questions. How do we get out of the waiting pool? What does that look like at King of Glory? 
First, how do we individually get out of the waiting pool is this. When you hear something or you sense that there is a command, you have to tell someone else what you're sensing. So for example, today, if there is something that you were like, yes, I need, you need to leave here today and tell someone else what you're thinking. Because what happens? The first thing we always do is some of us are like, I don't want someone to think I'm crazy. Thing. I mean, that's what, partly what I was thinking this week, going, I hope they don't think I'm crazy, saying that the Spirit of God led me of this question, da-da-da-da. We all do this. And then Monday afternoon comes, and what? Our conscience is just fine, because we didn't act on it, and we've kind of forgotten it. So the first step to getting out of the waiting pool is say to someone else, hey, this is what's clunking around in my noggin. What's clunking around in yours? And how can we do this together? What does it look like for King of Glory to get out of the waiting pool? Now we're in the realm of my personal opinion. My personal opinion out of the realm of the waiting pool at King of Glory is this. Not be a church for other churched people or other middle-income, high-income people in Sioux Falls. This is a challenge. right? Because this is where the majority of us are. Thing. So the, the beauty is, go to the south side of Sioux Falls, a nice church, 15 to 20 years, will be a, things will be just fine. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. There's plenty of churches out there. The challenge is this. If we agree there's plenty of other churches out there and you're a Christian and you move into town, I trust that Jesus is being preached just fine. Why not let him go there? So maybe it would look for King of Glory to take a step of faith and say, hey, you know what? We're going to be who we are. We've got a mixed diversity of group. We've got different generations. Da da da. We don't know if we're going to grow or not grow. We're going to be faithful to Jesus by putting ourselves in place X, whatever that looks like. And we're going to say, we're going to try and reach out to the unchurched the best we can. We're going to try and serve the poor the best that we can. And we're just going to see what happens. i got no idea. King of Glory might not exist in 15 years. We don't have a belt. I don't know. Thing. But we were faithful, and we did what we could. Again, that's my personal thought as I think about what it would look like to really take a step of faith as a congregation and do something different. Because there's plenty of good Bible-preaching churches in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Plenty. A plethora. Thing. So maybe there's not enough that are saying, hey, we're just going to pursue the unchurched and simplicity and those who are hurting in our city. So that's what we'll stop today. Thing, um, Hope that's helpful. Thing, and my goal, again, is try to open up the dialogue a little bit. Of, you get, you're thinking about something. We'll do more of this in the future as we did in the past a little bit as well. But the whole goal is, you got something thinking, let's put it on the table and, and talk about it. And again, it's not, oh, hey, Rich has got all the answers. Let's just, I don't think. I'm just speaking from a perspective of, of hopefully saturated in God's Word. The final message to us this morning is pretty simple. That is this. Jesus Christ has loved you beyond measure. It's immeasurable how much Christ has loved you. He left the richness of heaven and came to earth and died on your behalf for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Now this Jesus, who is king of the universe, is laying claim on you and saying, come, passionately pursue me with all that you have. This morning, will we pursue safety and comfort or, we, or will we pursue Christ for he is our righteousness?